Well, how many are thankful to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Anybody glad to be in God's house? Amen. All right. Well, we are going to wrap up a series today that we began about four weeks ago entitled Blessed. And uh, we began talking, looking at Matthew chapter 5 at the Beatitudes, and we kind of began to dive in uh, really to what we begin to call a spiritual standard. And we recognized as we kind of opened this series that this, this, the Beatitudes of Christ is really about God calling us up, that God is calling us higher to walk in the attitude of Christ, that the attitude of Christ will literally be the attitude of our heart and that we would begin to live a life that would honor the Lord and really reflect the character and the nature of God in all that we do. And I don't know about you guys, I, I really have been surprised by this study uh, as the Lord kind of began to lead us into this. Uh, and I was excited. I, I believed it was going to be powerful. I believed it was going to be inspirational and really challenge us. But I, I really was shocked by what I felt like has kind of been some of the meatiness of this message. I felt like the Lord's kind of give us some things to really chew on uh, that I hope will go with us and nourish us and help us as we kind of walk out what God has. So let's look at Matthew chapter 5 as we wrap this up together today. The Bible says this, verse 1, And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he, had, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. And then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So let's look today at the last three Beatitudes. And we're going to kind of dive in to these last three. And let me just encourage you, if you've missed one of these uh, messages in this series, let me encourage you, get our Liberty Church app, go to YouTube, go to Facebook, wherever you kind of get your, inf uh, your information and consume your content, and go back and listen to these messages because I believe there's a lot of truth that we can dive into. So let's look at that first point on our outline together. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So a pure heart is a clean heart. It's a heart that is purified. And I want to share with you four specific things I really feel like the Holy Spirit said to me as I was studying this, four ways that God purifies our heart. Number one is it's a heart purified by fire. It's a heart that is pruned like a vine. It's a heart that is washed in water, and it's a heart that is unmixed with this world. Purity of heart is a process of abiding in Christ and separating ourselves from this world. And we're going to talk about that process just a little bit. So purification, God, purify my heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So that purification process is really that. It's a process. It's a process through which God purifies our heart and enables us as we abide in Christ to begin to walk out the blessing of this beatitude, which is simply this, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see 
God. There's a revelation that comes through purity that allows you to see things you would never see before. So let's talk about those little four-step process that I felt like the Holy Spirit showed me. God purifies our heart by fire. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29, the Bible says this. It says, for our God is a consuming fire. And in Malachi chapter 3, the Bible says this. He, speaking of God, will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. As we abide in Christ, think about this. The fire of God refines our hearts. Do you remember John the Baptist? He prophesied about Jesus. He said, when he comes, he will baptize you in the Holy Ghost, and he will baptize you with, you remember what he said? He'll baptize you with fire. Holy Ghost and fire is the baptism that Jesus Christ brings into our life. And the truth is, is that when we kind of as American Christians think about the fire of God, you ever hear somebody talk about the fire of God? I just automatically get excited, right? I think about fire as being exciting, being powerful, being amazing. I mean, the fire of God, they're fired up, they're excited, they're on purpose, they're living for the Lord. And that's an exciting revelation. But let me give you something today. The realization is the fire of God is not so much about excitement as much as it is about purification. God sends the fire not to stir us up, but to clean us up. Not to give us emotional enthusiasm, but to give us a clean heart that is willing and able to serve the Lord. And that's a powerful thing. And so when you think about the fire of God, God purifies our heart by fire. Let me tell you something today. God loves you so much that he will turn up the heat. You ever had the Holy Spirit put his finger on something? I mean, he just kept putting his finger on it, and he keeps putting his finger on it, and he keeps putting his finger on it, and it's like he's got this laser beam magnifying glass, and he has just zoned in on one thing in your life. And you're like, God, I'm doing really good over here. And yeah, God says, yeah, but let's talk about this. Well, Lord, my marriage is really good. God says, oh, yeah, but let's talk about this. Well, Lord, financially, I'm really doing good. Oh, yeah, but let's talk about this. You ever seen the fire of God like that? You ever felt the fire fire of his presence as the Holy Spirit begins to purify your heart and he begins to focus in on the dross, the impurities in our life that keep us from revealing the glory of God? The Bible said there in Malachi chapter 3 that he would refine the children of Israel as a refiner purifies silver. I watched a little documentary on a silversmith, and, and, and as the guy was putting the silver into the fire, and he'd pull it out, and he'd put it in the fire, and he'd pull it out, and he'd put it in the fire, and he'd pull it out. And the guy that was watching him asked him this question. He said, how do you know when the silver is refined? And the guy said, it's really simple. He said, I know the silver is refined and purified when I pull it out of the fire, and I can see my reflection. How many know that God wants to see his reflection in us? And that God will use the fire of the Holy Spirit to begin to identify things in your life that need to be consumed by the glory of His presence. Pride, jealousy, envy, covetousness. Those things that Rob talked about, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life. Those small foxes, the Bible says, that spoil the vine, that creeps in there, that want to take take possession And position in our hearts that keep us from seeing, hearing, and knowing, and ultimately reflecting 
the very nature of the Lord. Our God is a consuming fire. So there's the fire of the Holy Spirit that God uses to purify our heart. But then not only does God purify our hearts by fire, but he also prunes our hearts like a vine. Look with me in John 15. Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more fruit. So as we abide in Christ, think about this. The Bible says Jesus said that the Father is the ultimate vine, vine dresser. He's the gardener, and he will cut away every branch that doesn't bear fruit. You know what God will do? God loves you so much that he will prune and cut away every unfruitful branch in your life. And as I was praying about this, the Lord just began to show me that Keith, he said, unfruitful branches are not necessarily bad things. They're just barren things. Think about this. Every time that you move into a new season of life, there is a pruning that is required. Because what bore fruit in this season may not bear fruit in this season. How, how many married people in the house? Awesome. How many of you realize that what worked when you were dating may not work now? Right? What made her laugh now, then doesn't make her laugh now. What made her get over being mad then makes her madder now. And so guess what? You have to realize something. You have to realize that in one season something was fruitful, but in the next season it has now become barren. And God loves you so much, he wants to prune your heart of the unfruitful, barren branches in your life so that the rest of your branches can receive the nourishment that they need. Because here's the revelation. You cut away the barren branches so that the fruitful branches have more resources. Let's just be honest. We can probably look at our lives and we can recognize there are some barren things that we're still putting money into that we're still putting energy into, that we're still investing time into, and it hadn't produced fruit in a long time. But there's just something about our humanity that wants to hold on to the dead things because it used to be a fruitful thing. But God loves you too much to leave those dead things sucking life from the life-giving things that are intended to produce fruit in your life. Then Jesus goes on and, and, and he makes another statement there in that same verse, verse 2. He said, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And then he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more fruit. So here's the good news. No matter where you're at, God's going to prune you. If you have barren branches, God's going to cut them off. If you have fruitful branches, you know what God's going to do? He's going to cut back that which is bearing fruit so that it can bear more fruit. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you. This is probably one of those attributes I just don't love about God. <laughs> I'm like, Lord, I'm bearing fruit. Let's leave it alone. I'm bearing fruit. It's working. It's not broke, so let's not fix it. But God says it's fruitful, and it's good, and it's God, and it's what I want to do in your life for this season, but it's not the fullness of the fruit that I want to bring. So I'm not going to cut it off, but I am going to cut it back. 2020 was a year when God did some cutting back. 
Right? We cut back on some things. We cut back on how we were spending our time, our energy, our efforts. We begin to cut back on some stuff. And you know what happened? When you begin to cut back on certain things, you begin to find out you could bear more fruit in other things. And all of a sudden, you begin to recognize that God wants to prune your life. And so he prunes your heart by cutting back the fruitful areas so he can bear more fruit. When you read the rest of John 15, Jesus is kind of obsessed with fruit. He says, not only do I want you to bear fruit, but I want you to bear much fruit, and I want your fruit to remain. He's not looking for temporary fruitfulness. He's looking for eternal fruit that lasts forever, and he is committed to the process of purifying our hearts and cutting away and then cutting back those things in our lives. So I want to challenge you to think about, Lord, what are some things you want to cut away? What are some things I need to cut back? What I've recognized over the years is sometimes to go to the next season God wants me to do, I have to cut back an investment that I was making in this person so I can have more time to invest in this person. I have to cut back some time I was investing in this project so I can invest more time in this project. And every time the Lord does that, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) But if I've been faithful to the process, I've always seen the fruitfulness of God. As he takes that fruitful thing and causes it to bear more fruit. And ultimately, the goal is fruit that remains. Let's look at the third element of how God purifies our heart. It's also there in John chapter 15, verse 3, the very next verse. Jesus says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Ephesians 5, 26, speaking about God, says that he might sanctify and cleanse her. The her there is the church. It's the body of Christ. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word. As we abide in Christ, guess what God does? God washes us by the water of his word. You want to know why it's important that you read the Bible? You want to know why it's important that you spend time every day in the scriptures? Because God uses the word to purify our heart. He washes away the muck and the mire and the filth and the grime of this world. How many of you guys realize something? We live in a dirty world. We live in a filthy world. We live in a world where the scum of this world, not people, they're not scum, but the things of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, those things want to try to defile us. Jesus washed the disciples' feet because in that culture, that was how you traveled, and the feet were the first things to collect the dust and the dirt and the grime of the world. And how many of you realize, I I had somebody earlier this morning, I was getting some coffee in the cafe, and one of the ladies in there, one of our older ladies in church, I gave her a hug. She said, Pastor Keith, you smell good. I said, yesterday was my weekly bath. (laughs) How many of you know that if you only took a bath once a week, you might have an aroma? And it probably wouldn't be an aroma that would attract people. It would probably be an aroma that would dispel people. If the only time you read your Bible is when you come to church and I ask you to open it up, then you're only bathing once a week. But every day, you're being bombarded by the world. And every day, you're being confronted with the filth of this world. And I need a daily cleansing to keep my heart right. Amen? So God 
purifies our heart by the fire of the Holy Spirit. He purifies our heart by the pruning shears of the Father. And then he purifies our heart by the washing of the water of the Word. Now look at this next part. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. God purifies our heart. I want you to see this through separation. Because the word pure means to be undefiled or unmixed. Unmixed. Unmixed by the things of this world. Undefiled by the things of this world. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6. He says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They will be my people. Look at verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them. Come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you, and I will be your fathers, and you will be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord. So we have to come out from among them and be separate. But not separate in the sense that we don't interact with the world. See, we got to love the world. We got to reach the world. We got to care about the world. We've got to engage the world. Why? Because Jesus, who is a perfect example, the Bible says, was a friend of sinners. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How many of you glad he didn't wait for you to clean up to come to him? He cleaned you up before you ever thought about coming to him. He paid the price for your redemption and opened the door of salvation to whosoever will. They can come. And Jesus engaged the world. He interacted with the world. He touched a broken, hurting world with the hope of the gospel. So when he says come out from among them and be separate, he's not saying we don't interact with the world. He's not saying we hide behind the walls of our church and say to hell with the world and we're going to heaven and we're going to hold to our own. Absolutely not. We are not spiritual monks. We are missionaries who are sent into all the world. Do you know what the message of the gospel is really clear? In the Bible, the message of the gospel to the world is simply this, come. Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. And the message of the gospel to the church is, go into all the world and make disciples. So if they're coming and we're going, we got to have some interaction. Come on, somebody. So in order to rightly divide the word of truth, we have to understand when he says, come out from among them and be separate, he's not talking about we don't interact with the world, we don't reach the world, we don't evangelize the world. He says, do not touch their filthy things. I want to challenge you with a thought this morning. I think we have to be separate from the world in the way we think. Because to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And if I think like the world, it's going to be impossible for me to live like Jesus. If I think like the world thinks, I'm not going to live like Jesus lives. So I have to come out from among them and be separate. What does that look like? Let me give you a practicality. It means there are some places that the world goes that I can't go. There are some movies that the world watches that I can't watch. There are some books that the world reads that I can't read. There are some music, there's some music that the world listens to that I can't listen to. Right? There's some things that the world does that I just can't do because I am a follower of Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean I can't watch some movies. It doesn't mean I can't listen to music. It doesn't mean I can't read books. It doesn't mean I can't go out and have fun. It doesn't mean I can't interact with other people. It just means there are some dividing lines that I cannot cross. Why? Because the books that I read 
the movies that I watch, the music that I listen to, and the places I go affect the way I think. And if I don't separate in what I do, watch, listen, and read, then I will not be separate in how I think, and therefore I won't be separate in how I live. And if I think like the world, I'll act like the world. See, we have way too many carnal Christians because we have been defiled by the world because there's nothing that separates us. I heard an evangelist years ago, he made this statement. He said, a difference that makes no difference is really no difference at all. <laughs> if the only thing that makes you different is you go to church on Sunday morning, then you're really not different at all. But if there's a difference in the books that you read, and if there's a difference in the movies that you watch, and there's a difference in the places that you go, and there's a difference in the music that you listen to, and there's a difference in the way that you interact and react with other people, then guess what? A difference that makes a difference is a difference. And how many know we're supposed to be different? We're supposed to be light in darkness. We're supposed to be the salt of the earth. And so we have to recognize that there are some things i got to come out of in order to enter into the things God has for me. Y'all still with me? Look at that next point. So the blessing of purity is clarity. Blessed are the pure in heart, the Bible says, for they shall see God. God allows himself to be seen by those whose hearts are pure. The word see, blessed are, those who, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That word see means to see, but it also means to reveal oneself. So the idea is simply this, blessed are the pure in heart, because when your heart is pure, when you yield to the process of purification, and you say yes to the fire, and you say yes to the pruning, and you say yes to the word, and you say yes to coming out so you can enter in, God says, that's the kind of person I'm going to show myself to. <laughs> There's a special blessing called the revelation of clarity that I begin to see God in ways that other people don't see him and we've all experienced it anybody here remember when you got saved anybody remember that day that was kind of week three of you anybody else remember when you got saved how about you online people how about online any of you folks online remember when you got saved come on y'all help me out here you remember when you got saved do you remember do you remember when you got saved that you used to look at your life and if you were at the bottom of the barrel when you came to Christ, and most people usually are at the bottom of the barrel when they come to Christ, then you probably had some thoughts like this. Man, my life is over. Things are never going to turn around. Man, it's just wasted. Where has been God? God's without me. Everybody's abandoned me. Nothing good's ever happened in my life. And the moment you got saved and got born again, God cleans your heart. And you look back over your life, and for the first time in your life, you look back over your life, and you saw the hand of God there. And you saw the grace of God there. And you saw the mercy of God there. And you saw how God kept you and preserved you and carried you through those times. When you thought you were all alone and God was nowhere to be found, the moment you got saved, you looked back over your life and you saw him. And the more we allow God to purify our hearts, the more we'll see the hand of God at work in our lives. And if you're not seeing him, you don't have an eye problem, you got a heart problem. Isn't it amazing how two people can experience the same thing and one person can walk away praising God and the other person can walk away cursing God? And they went through the exact circumstance. All because our clarity is determined by the purity of our hearts.
So let's look at the next beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Peacemakers are bridge builders, not floor mats. Peacemakers declare war on the issues that divide us while loving and restoring the people who are trying to attack us. Peacemakers are bridge builders. They're not floor mats. Being a peacemaker doesn't mean you just lay down and play dead and let everybody else have their way and everybody walks over you. That's not being a peacemaker. The Holy Spirit said to me just this morning in my prayer time, he said, Keith, he said, most people are peace seekers, not peacemakers. And he said, if you're a peace seeker, then you seek the path of least resistance. What's going to cause the less conflict? What's going to be the easiest path to take? What's going to keep everybody from getting mad at me because I don't want anybody to be mad at me or upset with me? So I want to be a peace seeker. And if you're a peace seeker, you end up being a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. Jesus is not a peace seeker. He is a peacemaker. And if you're going to make peace, you've got to build a bridge, not be a floor mat. If you're going to make peace, you have to declare war. Hear that. Peacemakers declare war. They don't declare war on the people. They declare war on the issues and the agendas of the enemy that are working through people. So when I'm a peacemaker, I'm declaring war on the issue in my marriage, but at the same time, I'm loving and restoring my spouse. I'm declaring war on the issue on my job while at the same time I'm loving and restoring my coworkers. I'm declaring war on the issues in our nation while at the same time loving and interceding for our president. Because people aren't your enemy. The enemy is the enemy. And Christ died for you while you were the enemy of God. How about you return the favor? See, that's what this beatitude is really all about. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Look at that next point. Peacemakers are called the sons of God. This beatitude distinguishes us from the world and sets us apart as children of God. Peacemakers are blessed because they resemble the Father. The word son, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God, means the offspring of God, but it also means one who resembles the Father. One who resembles the Father. We got, we got two, two grandbabies and we got another grandson on the way. I don't know if y'all saw that over the holiday. Woo-hoo. Grandson number three is on his way. And people ask me all the time, well, well, well Pastor Keith, who do, you, who do you think they look like? And my answer is always the same. I don't know. <laughs> and, and everybody, right? Oh, he looks like her. He looks like him. He looks like, I don't know. But this is what I do know. I want to look like my daddy. And nothing makes you resemble the father like being a peacemaker. A bridge building War-declaring restoration machine (laughs) that declares war on the issues of sin while at the same time loving and pursuing the sinner who needs to be saved because that's what God did for me and you. If he would have waited for us to be right before he made us right, we would never be right. 
But while we were fighting God, he died for us. While we were cursing God, he died for us. While we were resisting God, he died for us. The Holy Spirit gave me something. I wrote it down because I didn't want to mess it up. He said, if you're not fighting for the salvation of people you disagree with, then you're not accurately representing Jesus. If you're not fighting for the salvation of people you disagree with, let's just be honest. As Christians, we have strong convictions, and we should. And we should be passionate and dedicated and determined to live the life God has called us to live and to push the standard of God's righteousness and his kingdom into a world doomed by darkness. But we can't curse the people that Jesus died to save. We can resist them in the natural. We can oppose them in the natural. We can spiritually war and win the battle of oppression that is raging. But I can't hate you and curse you and at the same time restore you into a right relationship with God. Let me back up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read verse 19 and 20 to you. It says, For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We, plead, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We don't play dead, we don't roll over, and we don't get out of the way. We fight with everything we have for the standard and truth of Jesus Christ. But while we fight on the issue of sin that destroys life, we love the people who are bound by the sin that are opposing us and opposing God because that's what Jesus did for us. Now, they're going to pry our guns out of our cold, dead hands. But we are going to recognize who the enemy is. The enemy is the enemy. And blessed are the peacemakers who build bridges and declare war on the issues while loving and restoring the sinner bound by sin. Because that was me and you. And if that is not you, then you're still blind by your sin. Because that's where we all were and are without Christ. Amen? All right, last one. Here we go. Y'all still good? Y'all still love Pastor Keith? I love y'all. Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, and great is their reward in heaven. The word persecuted means to be driven away, to put pressure on, to be harassed, to mistreat, and to be hostile toward. And the truth is, let's be honest, the truth is that Christians in America and Christians around the world, Christians in America, let's talk about Christians in America for a moment. We felt social, political, and financial persecution. 
We felt social, political, and financial persecution. And then when you look at Christianity around the world, right now people are dying for their faith in Jesus. They are imprisoned. They are losing their lives. Their children and their wives are going hungry because they have taken a stand for Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven we talked about that in in uh, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven they become partakers of God's domain dominion and provision and great is their reward in heaven blessed are those who are persecuted who are persecuted for righteousness sake See, I believe that as we continue to live out God's story here on planet Earth, the realization of this beatitude is probably going to become more and more near to us as we in America, I believe, one day will see physical persecution. To consider what we're going through today as genuine persecution when you compare it to what people around the world are enduring today, it's almost an injustice to say that when somebody slanders me on Facebook, I'm being persecuted when somebody around the world is being imprisoned. But it is all persecution. And we know it's real. And I believe as God's story unfolds in our world today, this scripture is going to become more and more precious and more and more powerful as we begin to grab hold of the truth that there on the other side of persecution, there is a blessing that God has reserved for those who will stand for him. I used to hear young guys as we were working in, in the youth, they say, Pastor Keith, I'm, I, I will die for Jesus. And that never impressed me. Because my question was always, well, more importantly, will you live for him? I'll die for Jesus. Yeah, but will you live for him? Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, will you live for him? There's an old saying that says, if Christianity was illegal, would there be enough evidence in your life to declare you guilty? If Christianity was illegal, would there be enough evidence in your life to declare you guilty? Or would your only evidence of your Christianity be, I go to church on Sunday and I'm a good moral person? Well, guess what? There are a lot of Buddhists and, and Muslims who, quote, go to church and they're moral people. There are some, a lot of atheists who are moral people who treat people good. See, we got to not only be willing to die for Christ, we got to be willing to live for Christ. That's where the impact comes. It's not in what I'm willing to do in one moment. It's what I'm willing to do on a daily basis that shifts the culture and changes a nation for the glory of God. And I hope that one day if I ever had to, I would die for Christ. But more importantly, I want to make sure that every day that I do have, I want to live for Christ. Amen? Look at that next point. There is no reward for suffering because we do the wrong thing. But there is great reward for those who suffer for doing what pleases God. Let me stop there for just a second. I talk to Christians sometimes and they say, Pastor Keith, I'm suffering because, uh, because I'm living for Jesus. I'm suffering because I'm a Christian. And when you drill down, sometimes you find out that many Christians aren't suffering because they're Christians. They're suffering because they're gossips. They're suffering because they're busybodies. They're suffering because they're liars. They're suffering because they're lazy and the people on their job don't like working with them because they have to carry their weight and do their part. 
I mean, there, there's no reward for suffering for doing the wrong thing. God doesn't get excited just because you're a Christian and all of a sudden people don't like you because you're a gossip. And you're like, well, they just don't like me because I'm a Christian. No, they don't like you because you're a gossip. Because anybody that will talk to you about somebody else will talk about you to somebody else. So you better watch out the people you let in your life. That was free, praise the Lord. First Peter chapter 4. Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trials you're going through as if some strange thing is happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partakers with Christ in his suffering so that you will have, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to the whole world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian, for then the glorious Spirit of God rests upon you. But if you suffer, however, it must, not be for be, it must not be for being a murderer or stealing or making trouble or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. And praise God for the privilege of being called by His name. Let's look back at that point again. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven and great is their reward in heaven. And then we recognize it pleases God. It pleases God when we suffer for righteousness' sake because it means we have died to sin and we are laying up treasure in heaven. Look at 1 Peter 4, 1 and 2. It says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourself with the same attitude he had. And be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, look at this next statement. You have finished with sin. And look at verse 2. He, he talks about what does that mean. What does it mean for us to be finished with sin? What does it mean for us to be dead to sin? He says you won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires. But you will be anxious to do the will of God. It pleases the Father when we suffer for doing what is right. Because this is what it says about us. It says we're done with sin. If I'm willing to suffer... Because I did the thing that pleased God, then that, mean I've come, that means I've come to a place where I have died to sin. And I'm no longer going to live the rest of my life chasing my own carnal desires. But now I'm going to live to please the Lord. I want to be dead to sin. How about you? I want to live a life that pleases God. And I, and I love that last little phrase. It's a neat little twist out of the NLT version. It says, but you will be anxious to do the will of God. That's a, that's a positive anxiety. Not anxious over what's happening over the world. Not, not anxious over the problems and trials that are coming. But what if you were anxious? What if you were anxious about doing the will of God? About doing the things that please God? What if you were so excited on the inside that you just couldn't wait for the next opportunity to do the thing that God has called you to do? Because if we are willing to suffer for righteousness, it means we have finished with sin. And now we're chasing God. If you live... For this world, then this world will be your reward. But if you live for that world, then you get to enjoy the things in this world all the while laying up treasure in heaven. You kind of get a double blessing, amen? If you live for this world, then this world is all you get. But if you live for that world, then you get to enjoy this world while laying up treasure in heaven that you get to enjoy forever. Last scripture, Philippians 2.13. Y'all been patient and kind today. Thank y'all. As we kind of close this series, I want to just remind us of one thing. I want to remind us of the same God that has called us to this spiritual standard. It's the same God that empowers us to live the life he's called us to live. Look what, look what the Apostle Paul said here in Philippians 2.13. 
He says, for God is working in you. Where's he working? We know he's working around us, but I'm glad he's working in us. Amen? For God is working in you. Look what it says. What is God doing on the inside of me and you? He is giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases God. God is working in you, and this is the work he's doing. He's giving you the desire to please him, and he's giving you the power to fulfill that desire. It would be cruel for God just to give you desire but no power. And, and it would be cruel for God to give you power and not the right desire because you would become a bully. But God gives us the desire and the power to do what pleases him so we can live the life he's called us to live. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads today. I want to just challenge you today, if you're a Christian, my prayer is that the attitude of Christ would be the attitude of my heart. God, I want my heart to line up with you. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I want to challenge you today. Is there anything in your life keeping you from living out those Beatitudes? Because I promise you this, if there is something in your life, the Holy Spirit's already put His finger on it. And either the fire or the pruning shears or the washing of the water or the separation that needs to take place, God has already prompting you in a direction. And some of you right now know there are some things in your life that need to be cut off and there are some things in your life that need to be cut back. I want to challenge you just to do business with the Lord this morning. God, are there any unfruitful things in my life that need to be cut off? And Lord, are there any areas in my life that you want to cut back so I can produce more fruit? Lord, I just want to say yes to you. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you realize you've been a peace seeker. You, you've, you've just been a people pleaser. And you realize today, hey, I can't live my life that way. It doesn't please God to please people. But if I please God, I can minister to people. And I can help people. And I can see people come out of darkness into light. And I want to be that kind of person. God, help me to be a peacemaker today. And God, give me the courage to embrace that last beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Lord, let me live the kind of life that's not just willing to die for you, but God, let me live the kind of life that is willing to live for you every day. I want to be that person. So right now, just do business with the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. If you're here today or you're watching online and you say, you know what, Pastor Keith, I, I know without a doubt in my heart this morning I'm not ready to meet the Lord. You talked about my eyes being open, being able to look back and see the hand of God in my life. I've never experienced that. Today, I'm still what the Bible calls dead in my sins, but today I want to accept Christ. I want my eyes to be open. I want my heart to be clean. And I want to commit my life from this day forward to live forward, follow after Jesus. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand. Today, I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never been born again. I've never been saved. Today, I want to accept him. If that's you, just raise your hand. Just hit that hand emoji, type in that chat box. I'm raising my hand. And 
we're about to close in prayer. So if that's you today, this is your moment. This is your hour to make Jesus the Lord of your life. He wants to wash you clean. He wants to give you a gift called eternal life. And he wants to adopt you into the family. So right now, let's just pray this prayer together. If you're watching online, this is for you. If you're here in this room today, it's for you. Let's say it out loud. Everybody in the room with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. Rose again on the third day. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and my life. Be my Lord and my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.